Okay, we are, we are starting uh, Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. We're going to start reading from verse 1. Now Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimron and Jokshan and Midan and Midian and Ishbak and Shuha. And Jokshan became the father of Sheba and Didan, and the sons of Didan were Asurim, Letishim, Lem, Lemim. The, son of, the sons of Midian were Ephah, and Ephor, and Hanak, and Abida, and Edda. And all these were the sons of Keturah. Now, Abram, now Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts while he was still living, and sent them away from his son, Isaac, eastward to the land of the east. These are all the years of Abraham's life that he lived, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a ripe old age, an old man and satisfied with life, and he was gathered to his people. Then his sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, facing Mamre. The field which Abraham purchased from his sons of, from the sons of Heth, there Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. It came about after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac lived by Ber Laharoi. Now, these are the records of the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's maid, bore to Abraham. And these are the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names in the order of their birth. Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, Kedar, Abdil, and Mibsam, and Mishma, and Duma, and Masa, and Hadad, and Temer, and Jetur, and Nafish, and Kedema. These are the sons of Ishmael. These are their names by their villages and by their camps, twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. And he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is east of Egypt, as one goes toward Assyria. He settled in defiance of all his relatives. Okay, we'll stop there. So, Abraham was 137 years... Uh, uh, um, uh, I'm sorry... So Abraham was 137 when Sarah, his wife, died, and he now lives to 175. So he's 38 years without Sarah. And and, uh, just just so that we know this, Isaac is 75 when Abraham dies. So he's not a little kid anymore. Isaac is 75. Ishmael, his other son, is 89 when Abraham dies. And Abraham gets to see his two grandchildren, Jacob and Esau. They are 15 years old when Abraham dies. So you have Abraham, he had Sarah, his wife, then he also had Hagar, who was the maid of Sarah, and Keturah, who was, who was this other wife that he says that he took another wife, Keturah. Keturah had six sons, we just read their names. Hagar had the one son, Ishmael. Sarah had the one son, Isaac. So Abraham had eight sons in, in total. Whether, whether he had daughters, he probably did. Generally, genetically, you get one and one, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's how the genetics work, right? And, and, uh, uh, but they're not mentioned. 
So Abraham actually had, had uh, eight sons, and Isaac had Jacob and Esau. Ishmael ended up having 12 sons. So it says in verse 1 of, of, of uh, chapter 25, of, it says, Now Abraham took another wife. So he called her his wife, and her name was Keturah. So she bore him these six sons. Now one of the sons that's mentioned is, his name is Midian. Now, Midian ends up have, having a, a, a big role because uh, it was of this land of Midian. That was the, the, uh, 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 the offspring of Midian where was uh, Moses' wife was from the land of Midian. And so then in, in verse, in, in verse uh, 5, it says, Now, Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. While he was living, he gave all that he had to Isaac. He didn't wait until he died because if he died, he couldn't give it to him. He gave it to him while he was still alive. He wanted to make sure there wasn't going to be any trouble. You don't care about this because you're like 20 years old. But one day you should care about this. Where are you going to leave and how are you going to leave your assets? Because I see it many times, destruction that comes in families that never had any problem. But then comes a will and the partitioning of things and it's not properly partitioned and there's fights among among children that never had fights before because of this money that all of a sudden comes, becomes available. So we learn from Abraham, he took care of this while he was living. He gave everything to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts while he was still living and he sent them away from his son eastward to the land of the east. While he was still living, he gave his other seven sons gifts. Now the law had not yet come. If the law had come, he would have given to Isaac, he would have given to his firstborn half. That was Ishmael. He would have given half, and then he would give it, uh, he would have given the double portion. So he would have given two thirds, and then the one third would have been divided up, up, up among the rest. But here he gave everything to Isaac because he was the son of the line that God had said. It's interesting in verse 6 that it refers to the sons of his concubines. So this is Hagar and, and Keturah. Hagar, it says that, it, it says that, uh, Sarai gave Hagar to Abram as a wife. But the Bible calls her a concubine. It says in verse 1 of chapter 25 that he took another wife. God refers to Keturah as a concubine. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 32, it specifically calls her a concubine. He wasn't sharing, God wasn't sharing that position of Abraham's wife with anybody but Sarah. Sarah is probably one of the most praised women in Scripture. And if you look at that in, in Hebrews chapter 11, it specifically has several verses about her. God wasn't sharing that position. Now, Abraham lived 38 years after, after um, uh, his wife Sarah had died. Now, now what, what you see, his virility was actually not just given on an occasion when he was 99 years old in order to have this child Isaac, when God healed him, he healed him. He's having children many, many years after this. So this guy's now, now, you know, well over a hundred years old. Well over a hundred years old. He's a hundred and, and, uh, he's 137 when he gets Keturah, and now he has six child, six sons with Keturah. So when God healed him, I mean, he really healed him. 
This was not a, a, a one-time thing. And uh, um, so God has the ability to do this. And so what he did is he took care of his finances. So for those of you who are in here a little bit older, think about this. You don't want to leave your children with, with having fights on their hands. And what he also did is he sent, he sent away these other sons. He sent them east. And so you see, this is the, the, the uh, Arabian Peninsula. That's where he sent them. He sent them east. He sent them eastward. And, and, uh, uh, and then look what, what, what's here. It says in verse 7, These are the years of Abraham's life that he lived 175 years. Now, how does a person live to be 175 years? You say, well, they really couldn't count well. And then all of a sudden they started being able to do arithmetic and they could count. No, that's not the case. And we know these people could count because it talked about this season next year. He had a child and I mean, it, everything matches up. They could count. They could do plenty of things. You say, well, how could somebody live to be 175? Well, why not? Why can't a person live to be 175? Tell me, genetically, why can't a person live to be 175? And you talk about these telomeres at the ends of the DNA and these sorts of things happening. But really, if you look at longevity studies, the question comes in longevity studies is, why don't people live longer than they do? Now, we know the Bible says in the book of, right after the fall and after the, uh, I'm sorry, after the flood, God says man will live 120 years. And so we see the lifetime start shortening after the flood. And then again, in Psalm 90, it's told us, uh, the Psalm of Moses, it says man shall live 70 years if due to strength 80. And that's about where we are now. This was written by Moses, 70 years and due to strength, 80. So God kept shortening the lives. And I understand this. If you allow people to keep all their strength well on into their old age, they would command and control everything. The only thing in the universities that allow the young assistant professors to come up and start taking some authority is that the old guys get weak. And, you know, they pound the table and control everything, and then they have a stroke and they just sit there. And, 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 and other people can come up and start taking command. I'm not kidding you. I mean, and, and think about this. What happens is you learn all these dastardly things as you get older. And if you had your physical strength, you'd, you'd execute upon these. And so it's, it's, it's good that man doesn't live too long. God says, I'm not going I'm, I'm, I'm to uh, travail with man much longer. That's why he initially cut his, his lifespan down. So, but Abraham is living to 175, it says. And then Abra, Abraham breathed his last in verse 8. He breathed his last and died. He breathed his last and died. This is a succession. You breathe your last and then you die. You don't, you, you, this is what happens. He breathed his last and then he died. In a ripe old age, an old man and satisfied with life. He died, died in a ripe old age, an old man and satisfied with life. How do, you, how do you stay satisfied with life? The scriptures tell us. It's a very simple prescription. And people like to try to make it hard, and they get all beat up by the world, and they just get all frustrated. The Bible tells us very clearly how we can maintain this. Now, Sometimes things come at us that, 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 that are, are hard to know. But the Bible gives us the basic background, and that's in this one verse in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. Philippians chapter 4, verse 9 says, The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, that's Paul writing, 
practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You practice the things that are written in this book, you practice them and the God of peace will be with you. You practice them and the God of peace will be with you. You don't and he won't. You see how that works? It's digital. You practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You try to go around these things, you try to subvert these things, the God of peace will not be with you and the world will beat you up and the enemy, the devil, will take control of your life and make it miserable. If you are a believer, not practicing the things of God, the enemy will come in and he will make your life miserable. And then you'll say, Every, why, is that, why is everything so bad in my life? Well, remember what we're reading here. You practice these things. Peace comes through practice. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. The Word of God is true. People ask me, how do you know the Word of God is true? I say, I know it's true. You don't know it's true. You can't know it's true. I know it's true. Jesus said in John 7, verse 17, If anyone is willing to do His will, He will know of the truth. Whether this is of God or whether I speak of myself. It is when we are willing to practice what's in this book that we understand that the Word of God is true. It is right every time. Every time it is right. That's why for the unbeliever, they don't have to accept this whole word as being true. They don't have to. There's only a few things they have to accept. And that's that Jesus is Lord and that He's risen from the dead. So if you're an unbeliever, that's the key. That Jesus is Lord and that He's risen from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's it. And it's as you practice this word. As you practice this word, if anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak of myself, John 7, 17. It is through this book and through this word that we know it. That's why I urge you, I urge you to practice what's in this book. And then you will know that this word is right. You'll go against it. You're going to make your life hard. You're going to make your life hard. And so he died at a, in verse 8, and he died in a ripe old age, an old man, and satisfied with life. I mean, that's a good thing, to be satisfied with life. To die and be like, I'm set. I'm satisfied. And Abraham was not without fault. He had many faults, as we've read about and as we've keyed in on. But that's the beautiful thing about the Word of God, that with all our failings, God prevails. It's all about Him. He is the one that maintains our salvation. If it were up to us, if maintaining salvation were up to us, we would lose it. The comforting thing is that it's not up to me. It's up to God. God is the one who maintains this. Of those who come to Him, not a single one will be lost. Not a single one. God will maintain this. And He was gathered to His people. And he was gathered to his people, in verse 8, then his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him. He was gathered to his people, so he breathed his last. He died. And now, he is gathered to his people. What comes right after death? He is gathered to his people. And then, they bury his body. Those are two separate things. If you say the burying of the body was being gathered to his people, can't be. Remember, he came from the land of Ur, 
or he was, his family plot is in Haran, up in, in Syria. He wasn't buried with them. He was buried in this cave of Machpelah next to Sarah. His people, his fathers are either in Haran or all the way back in Ur. He wasn't with them. The gathering to the people is used ten times in the Torah. In the first five books, the gathering to his people is used ten times. That expression is used ten times. Gather, gather to his people. Twice it says gather to fathers. Ten times it says gather to his people. If you look at this, there, there are four people in the scriptures. There's Abraham, Ishmael, Aaron, and Moses. All four of them, it says, they were gathered to their people. And in those four cases, none of them were really buried with any one of their people. None of them. Ishmael was not get buried with his father, Abraham. Aaron was not buried with anyone. Uh, Moses, we don't know where he was buried. We just know what, what mountaintop he was buried on. But it says God buried him. He was not buried with his people. So this gathering to his people is speaking of what happens upon death. What happens right after we breathe our last. Boom! You're gathered to your people. You're gathered to your people. Your soul goes to be with God. The soul goes to be with God. And Jesus spoke of this. Jesus spoke of this. He's not playing games with us. You know, Jesus should know, you know. He set the whole thing up. Jesus spoke of this. So if, if you look over in, in Luke chapter 16. In Luke chapter 16, we're going to start reading from verse 19. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Now listen to this description. Jesus didn't say this is a fairy tale. He is very specifically teaching us something. Because nobody has seen hell and come back and could tell us about this. So Jesus, who knows all about this, is giving us a description. Verse 19 of Luke chapter 16. Now there was a rich man and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered in sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs, which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels uh, to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and he saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received good things and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he's being comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone is, has risen from the dead. So, he tells us that, he tells us this story. He says that there's a rich man and a poor man. The, the poor man, he dies. It says he died and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. 
So the place of paradise is described as Abraham's bosom. And he is alive with Abraham. I thought Abraham had died 2,000 years before. He did. His body died, but his soul was gathered to his people. This man goes to be with those very same people. You will be with the people of God. You will be in Abraham's bosom. You'll be with the people of God immediately upon death. We're immediately with the Lord. Immediately with the Lord now because the Lord has taken those and He's brought them with Him already. There's where He went. And now He's, he's described what the torment is. He says in Hades, that's in verse 23. That's the same as Sheol in Hebrew. So it's the same word in Hebrew as Sheol. That's spoken of of the under earth, under the earth within the earth, at the center of the earth. It says, He lifted up His eyes, being in torment. There's a great chasm. There's a chasm and a great separation, but you can see across and speak across. That's the way Jesus described it. Or do you know better? You think you know better? You don't. Jesus knows exactly what He's describing. There's a great chasm. Fixed. It is fixed. And nobody can go over there to help the people that are in torment. He said, Jesus said, they can't go over. Because it would be unavailing. You can't help them any, anymore. The truth of the gospel will do them no good. It would be unavailing. So don't even bother. You're not going there anymore. Jesus didn't go there. This thing that Jesus went and he preached, he didn't. He made a proclamation that I'm alive. Exactly what happened. But he took those in the bosom of Abraham captive with him. He took those with him. Here it says, and he, sa- he, he says he's in torment. That's what hell is going to be like. It's torment. If you do not know the Lord, I urge you this day. I plead with your soul. If you will not plead for your soul, I'll plead for your soul. Come to Him this day. If you do not know the Lord, I urge you, please come to Him this day. We're going to have lunch after this in my home. I am giving you an invitation. Please come to my home. If you don't know the Lord, anybody can come to, everybody here can come to my home. But if you don't know the Lord, you are my special guest. You and me, we will sit together and I will describe to you how I came to know the Lord. How I got saved. I just want to tell you my story. That's it. I just want to tell you my story. Please let me do that. I urge you, do that. This is a place of torment you're going to go to if you don't know the Lord. It's a place of torment. He said, he said I'm just thirsty here. I'm, this, this, I just need water to cool off my tongue. And then he says, he says you, you know... If someone went back, just send Lazarus back to speak to my brothers so they don't, they don't end up in this place. And he says, look, they've got, they've got uh, uh, the prophets. They've got prophets. They've got Moses. Let them listen to them. If, if they don't listen to the prophets and Moses, in other words, they have the word of God. If they're not willing to listen to what's already been explained to them, they will lose out. They will lose out because they will never understand that this is of God. It's as we obey this word that we understand that this is of God. There is a resurrection. You don't even have to believe in this. This story that I'm telling you, you don't have to believe this. If you're an unbeliever, you don't have to believe this. All I appeal to you with is this, that Jesus Christ is Lord and that Jesus has risen from the dead. That's all. If you're a believer... You practice this word, and then you will come to know that it is true. This is true. That's why Abraham was gathered to... Abraham, it says that he was gathered to his family. He was gathered to those who were with him. This is, this is the same thing, and the, and the same thing that it, it says he was gathered to his people. Now let's turn back to, to, um, 
Genesis chapter chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. We're going to see the same thing with Ishmael. With Ishmael in verse 17. It says, he was gathered to his people. Ishmael was gathered to his people. The same expression. You say, well, Ishmael wasn't a good guy. Well, he believed. He obviously believed. And he was gathered to his people. Ishmael believed. And he was gathered to his people. And this is why even when people say, well, you know, that guy, he wasn't, he wasn't really walking. I say, no, I know that he received the Lord. I know that he knows this truth. He will be gathered to his people. There will be loss of reward, the scriptures tell us. But he will be gathered to his people. And in this, in, 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 uh, um, in verse, uh, um, 12, in verse 12, it says, now these are the records of the generations of Ishmael. And so it goes through and it names the 12 sons. He had 12 sons. Each of them, each of those 12 sons becomes the leader of a nation. These are the 12 Arab nations. And that was a promise. Because if you look in in Genesis chapter 17, verse 20, it says, And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him, and I will make him fruitful, and multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. And then you go over to chapter 25. Lo and behold, he had 12 sons, and they become 12 princes of 12 nations. Because when God says, it will happen... It has to happen. It can't not happen. It has to happen. God said there will be 12 sons to come from him, and that's exactly what happened. When God says it will happen, it will happen. It shall happen, it shall happen. It will happen just like this. And then they became the leaders of these 12 tribes. Then he was gathered to his people. And then it says in in, in, uh, verse 11, in verse 10 it says, says, uh, no, no, verse, verse 9. There it is, verse 9. Then his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah. So Isaac and Ishmael are together again. Abraham saw to it that his family, that these two sons of his were united. Now they never really had a falling out with each other. It was Sarah had a falling out with, with the things that Ishmael was saying. Ishmael was, was, probably about 18 because he was 14 when, when uh, Isaac was born. So he was about 18 or 20 when Isaac was weaned and he was making fun of the kid. And Sarah heard it. She says, get rid of this guy. Send him and his mother away. And she did. There was never really a falling out between these two. But they were reunited and they together buried his father. You ought to be there to bury your parents. It is an important thing. Children should bury their parents. And... Uh, um, and so they, they, they took, they went, and it, and it says that, that uh, Isaac settled in this land, Beer La Horai. This is this land, this is about 50 miles south of Beersheba. We've seen Beersheba before, about 50 miles south of this is, is where that land is. It's, in, it's in, the, in the Negev Desert. And then you see this, this whole thing about, about uh, Ishmael. And in verse 18, it says, They gathered from Havilah to Shur, which is east of Egypt, as one goes toward Assyria, and he settled in defiance of all his relatives. This is the Arabian Peninsula, all the way up from from uh, 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 the Euphrates River, all the way toward east, toward Egypt, as one goes toward Assyria, between Assyria and Egypt, this Arabian Peninsula. That's where they lived. That's where they live to this day. 
And it says he settled in defiance of his relatives. This is the fulfillment of what it says in Genesis chapter 16, verse 12. Again, God said it, boom, it happened. God said it, it happened. It says in chapter 16, verse 12 of Genesis, concerning Ishmael, before he was even born, it says, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live to the east of all his brothers. Exactly what God says is what happened, because these men, these 12 princes, gave birth to tribes, and these tribes were nomadic, and they used to rob passing bands of people. And so a lot of times cities would gang up and fight against them because of this piracy. And, and th- this, this is what became of them. And so you see exactly what God is saying here is exactly what happened. Now I want to begin to close with, with, with wrapping this up, but turn to John chapter 11, verse 25. John chapter 11, verse 25. In John chapter 11, verse 25, Lazarus is in the tomb and Jesus says something to, to, uh, to Mary. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And anyone who believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is the one who said, anyone who believes in him shall never die. Do you believe this? He's not talking about the physical body. He is talking about this relationship will never end. So when your loved one in Christ passes away, you will bury their body, but they are not there. They are very much with the Lord, instantly with the Lord. They have been gathered to their people, and that is the Lord. That is the beautiful promise that we have in Christ. One day you will lose a loved one. You want to make sure your loved ones know the Lord. And they will be forever with Him. They will be forever with Him. The antithesis of that is where the unbelievers go. It says they will go into the lake of burning sulfur. Sulfur is a very nasty fire. But that's the way the Bible explains it. I urge you to come to the Lord. I urge you to come to the Lord this day. But what you have to believe is right here. It's in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. This is what you have to believe. All these things that I've talked about today, Abraham being 175 and... Twelve sons being born and prophesied before the guy was, was even born and, and, or when he was just a young guy and all the things that were going to happen. You don't even have to believe all that. If you're an unbeliever, this is what you've got to know. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that He's risen from the dead, you will be saved. That is the barrier. That is the hurdle for salvation. The price has been paid. You owe me something now. Alright? If you do not know the Lord, you owe me something. Me, Jim Tour. You owe it to me. And that is to come to my house today to sit with me to have lunch and let me explain to you this gospel message, how I came to the Lord. Please, let me explain this to you. You owe that to me. You say, well, you've got other plans. Change them. Alright? Change them. Big deal. Just change them. All right. How often are you going to get an invitation from me to sit with me to have you to, to explain this to you? It's your lucky day. <laughs> All right. So come, come and sit with me and let me explain this message to you. And and uh, there, there's there's a gentleman here his, today and and he's he's an old old friend of mine. 
And, and uh, his name is John Robinson and his wife Susan. Now what John Robinson, just so that you understand, John, would you just raise your hand so they can see you. John shared with a young man, taught this young man how to share the bridge illustration of the gospel. That's the young man who shared it with me in 1977. After he shared it with me, I sat in a Bible study taught by John in, in, uh, uh, it was, it was in the Gospel of John. He taught that Bible study in the Lawrence and Dormitory. I don't know if you even remember that. You do remember. Do you remember me being there? Okay. And, and uh, uh, there were just like three people or four people and John. And he was gently going through the Gospel of John. And this is the first time I ever had the Bible explained to me. And then I remember when Susan came a couple years later or a year later and, and it was like, wow, this, John's got a girlfriend. <laughs> and, uh, and they ended up getting married. But John always looked so old because I was just 18 and he was 26. <laughs> and, uh, and it was like, you know, so he, he knew a lot. I mean, he was this old guy. Of course he's going to know a lot. And uh, um, so he's seen this. I've seen this. I invite you to come to the Lord. Let me just tell you the story of what was told to me this day. Now, if you have an unbelieving friend, I urge you, bring them. Bring them this day. I mean, the Bible says, compel them to come in. That means you grab them and you force them. All right? You force them to come. All right? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank and I praise you for your mercies and for your grace. And I pray, Lord, first of all, now for the unbelievers who are here, that they would pray this very day with me and say, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner. Forgive me and come into my heart. I believe that Jesus is Lord and I believe that he's risen from the dead. Father, save their souls today. Save souls today, I pray. And Lord Jesus, I pray for the believers here that they would trust you and trust your word that when you have said something that it will come to pass and that they would follow through on your word and see peace in their lives and that as they follow through that then they will come to know that this word is true. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would draw them close to your Son and cause them to walk with you. Father, I pray for the young men here, that you'd give them a heart to love you and to honor you. I pray, Lord, for the young women who are here, that they too would honor you and commit themselves to you. Father, that they would practice the things that are written in this word and see peace come upon them, and that they would know that in you they are secure and they will be gathered to their people to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has gone before them. Glory be to your name, O Lord. Glory be to your name. You are so good. Lord Jesus, you are the best. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And I commit this to you for your glory. Amen.